Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Blaze No Glory, the podcast. I am um, joined by two very special people for a special edition of the podcast. This is a Autumn Nations uh, series review for Scotland. A rant, perhaps, will uh, ensue. So I'm joined firstly by Chris Veal. Uh, hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, I'm not too bad, thanks. And also John Madden. Uh, he's got a different alias on Twitter, but he can tell you all about it, I'm sure. Hi, John. How are you doing, Richard? All right. I'm, good, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting there. So, um, first and foremost, before we go into the actual uh, talking about Scotland and how they got on um, during, the, during the Northern Nation series, first just let me know how you got involved, well, not involved in rugby perhaps, but how you got into rugby and, and how you ended up following it. I'll start with you first, John. How did you get into to following rugby? I played at high school um, for a number of years. Um, I'm also a season ticket holder with Glasgow Warriors. Um, and like I think you guys, you know, I, I love watching Scotland. I've, I've followed them for as long as I can remember, basically since high school, since my, my teacher kind of forced me into playing. It was, um, we all played football, Cope Ridge lad, we all played football, but um, the football team disbanded. And then one by one, we all kind of got in trouble in high school. And it was either go to rugby training or get a punny, take it home and get it signed by your parents. So we all went to rugby training and it all took off from there. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a a weird alternative to a punishment exercise. But uh, um, if you'd just done the punishment exercise, you wouldn't have had all the heartbreak over the years of supporting Scotland. Aye, that's very true. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Chris, how did how did you get uh, into watching rugby and, and involved in playing again uh, recently? I believe. Yeah, um, kind of similar. To be fair, um, it was high school for myself as well. Um, started playing it then, uh, not too deeply at that stage. Um, maybe for about a year, couple of years, and then I liked to watch it on the TV. I went to a few games at that stage as well. And then I kind of fell away from it for a long time through my, my teenage years, my early 20s. And I would say it's probably about the last 10 years that I really got into it again. Uh, initially, it was just the international stuff, you know, tuning for the Six Nations and what have you. And then I got started going to the Edinburgh Games, got my Edinburgh season ticket. And I now try and get to as many grassroots games as I can as well. And like you say, is the other week there, I made the fatal mistake, I think, uh, going and joining my local rugby team. So, um, my legs still hurt. <laughs> um, and uh, what what position are you running out for for your local rugby team? Well, I've only been to training so far, so I've not actually been assigned any position. But when I was in school, I was a loose head. So, I'm assuming we're going to be a loose head again. And, and judging on what we have beyond Shoe and Sutherland and Batty, I'll give him his due, um, you might be that might be the best way to get a Scotland cap, being a loose head. At any well, level. that would make me uh, fourth choice, which can, if anything, the last thing's got to go by, that's a, a good place to be. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll, we'll talk a bit about the, the All Nation series. Um, rather than going through every game sort of minute by minute or, or what happened, um, we'll sort of just look at each match and talk about how we felt about it afterwards, and maybe uh, and maybe some some takeaways from each one. So obviously, we had the first game, which was Australia Scotland, 
Um, outside the test window, I thought it was quite a bold move by Scotland to pick an opposition like Australia outside the test window. Uh, came away losing by a point and it felt a bit like a wet fart of a game. Um, I don't know what you guys were thinking after the game, but what, what was your thoughts after the game, uh, John, and, and your immediate reaction to that result? I think um, for me, and I think probably for most folk, to be fair, it was definitely a game that got away, wasn't it? Um, I mean, even at the death there, we could have won it by a kick. Um, the moment for me that always stood out in that game was a, was it two plot two? And he's already got the ball over the line and dotted down from Kinghorn's pass wide. I'm sure, well, was it Kinghorn? But he was out in the, at the corner flag. He just had to take the pass and score it. And I actually think that was kind of the, the, the moment that cost us. But I kind of felt Australia were there for the taking. And to be honest, I know I know it was only Glasgow and Edinburgh players who were missing some of our big guns. But I kind of felt, for most of the game, I thought, we, we can't lose this. We can't lose this. And then, typical Scotland, we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that is that is probably accurate. Now, I, I don't know. Did you guys watch it? Um, did you watch it in the stadium or were you guys at home watching it? I watched that one at home. Yeah. And what about you, Chris? What was your reaction to the game? I think you said you maybe watched it later at home. Yeah. Um, I recorded it and kind of watched it and then I've re-watched it since. I don't know why I re-watched it, but there we go. Um, yeah, similarly, it was, it was really one that got away and I think given our past few games against Australia, it was like one of these ones, you know, we are going to win, we are going to win. And it's just nothing seemed to pay off. Eh? It was slow ball for the ruck every time. You know, I think Price just seemed to be wanting to milk penalties, milk penalties, and they just kept getting defensively set up every time. And um, just Wings couldn't, couldn't get a, a look at the ball, which was... Obviously, the main downfall, I think, as well, you know, need to spread it out wide and just constantly just coughing up slow ball. Eh? The yeah. line out in that game was a mess. That, that was one of the other things I remember. Then, now, don't get me wrong, subsequent games that got resolved, but I mean, it was just, uh, I just came away from that game and saying, listen, we've got to be doing the basics better than we are. I think set piece in general because, like you say, lineouts were terrible. I think the few times that we went to mall, it, it didn't go anywhere. Um, I say the, the rocks were really slow. I don't think we even done that great in the scrum, did we? I think we kept getting penalties in that as well. Yeah, the the, the lineout, the lineout. I remember being. I, I watched all of them in the stadium. And the lineout, I remember being a, a serious point of frustration for for me, but. I guess we're going to come up, we will come on to it. It's unavoidable talking about that game, but what did you guys make of Blair Kinghorn in that game? Because that was the person who got the most vitriol after the game. Um, and I don't think he was, yeah, he missed a kick, but I don't think he was the problem. I think the problem was the line out, the moment you mentioned where Tua Pilotto dropped the ball. And for me, the moment where Van der Merver and uh, Ollie Smith both looked at each other and, and let a penalty kick go into touch when they could have stopped it, and that led to three points for Australia. So, what what did you guys make of Kinghorn and his first sort of go against serious opposition? Well, I suppose he plays Argentina, but his first go in Murrayfield against serious opposition at ten. 
I thought he did well. Um, I'm not. I think he's. A, I still think he's a back three player who's been shoehorned into ten, right? And I, I, I feel sorry for the lad because I think he's a. He is a, a good player. He's one of those players that's always divided opinion. I think, hasn't he? Even when he was at fullback, he kind of divided opinion because there was all folk who were very pro Stuart Hogg um, and didn't necessarily see him as the success at him. He's now been moved to ten, and. It's him sort of up against Finn Russell. But I have to say, I thought he was very good. I thought he was very good in that game. Okay, he missed the kick. He missed a couple of other kicks, if I remember correctly, maybe the, especially the first try, the conversion. But other than the place kicking, I thought he did well. He scored a smashing try. Um, and I don't really think you could fault him. Even in the build-up to Ollie Smith's try, that was a really well-worked move. Yeah. What about you, Chris? You're obviously an Edinburgh guy, so you might be a, have a bit more of a soft spot for for Kinghorn. Than- yeah. Uh, big fan of Blair Kinghorn. Uh, really love what he's doing for Edinburgh. Um, and I agree, he did. He had a really good game, I thought, uh, obviously kicking aside. I think his kicks for hand were fairly decent. I seem to remember one that was like about a metre over the line that kind of looked like it might have went over, but but we got it. Um, obviously, the try that he scored, like John says, was absolutely phenomenal. I can't think of ever seen anybody kick it kind of for halfway to score the try. Um, so I think I think he was, with the kind of ball that he was getting, I think we were, he was always going to come up against it. You know, he's very much a when everybody's moving forward kind of 10. Um, whereas we weren't getting to move forward, you know, we were being slowed doing it every turn. So I don't think the kind of play really suited him all that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, my, from my opinion, I was more annoyed at the vitriol that Kinghorn got than anything that he's done in a Scotland jersey. Just on the basis that he's not picking himself, I think is the is the, is the first point, and and the second point is. I mean, I saw it at the weekend, and we'll come on to Finn Russell, our great saviour, but he missed touch um, at quite a crucial moment in the match and was lucky that the Argentinian kicked the ball out of the full after carrying it over his own 22 at that stage, you know, and he makes mistakes the same as everybody else, but it was like Kinghorn were magnified because of the situation he was in. Um, but I don't want to dwell on Kinghorn too, too, too much. Um, yeah. And I have to agree with you, John. I think Australia were definitely there for the taking, and I think we should be mm. actually kind of disappointed we only won two out of two, uh, two out of four matches in the door. Um. Anyway, moving on, we we uh, we then had Australia. Uh, sorry, we then had Fiji next when we had our we had our, our big guns back. Obviously, minus the aforementioned Finn Russell. What what did you make of that game, uh, John? And Fiji was a bit meh, wasn't it? I think everyone came away from that. You know, the, the Mexican wave was probably the highlight. Um, ironically, um, talking about the Blair Kinghorn thing, obviously Adam Hastings has been playing very, very well for Gloucester and had been bigged up um, coming into this. And actually, he was the biggest disappointment for me. I didn't. I mean, he scored a good try, um, but other than that, he's, some of his kicking was wayward. He didn't really exert the control that I, I expected from him. Um, and again, that game just, we never really got, we never really got going, um, even with the big guns back. I was actually at that game and we were up and 
up the back corner and we were in with all the Fiji fans. And actually the atmosphere in with the Fiji fans was brilliant. And actually the game, because the game was so kind of dull, if you like, um, that was fantastic. I had my three kids at Murrayfield for the first time and um, all the, the Fiji fans were singing and dancing. And actually <laughs> that's my overriding memory of the Fiji game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Sometimes it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to the Sevens, but Kenya, the, get near the Kenyan fans, you'll have the best time at the Sevens. And, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's sometimes being with other fans is actually better. What, what, what did you make of the Fiji game, uh, Chris? Yeah, similar. I thought it was just quite a flat performance overall from us. Uh, I seem to remember, I'm sure it was about a minute and a half, they got a yellow card. And we done absolutely nothing, you know, nothing at all with it. Um, I thought, basically, Fiji's indiscipline is the only thing that really kept us in that game. I think, had they managed to keep themselves, kind of, uh, everybody on the field, I think it could have been a lot closer game. Not saying maybe we'd have lost, but I think it would have been a lot closer anyway. Uh, I say it's right at the start, though, anything less than, like, a 20-point gap between us and them is a probably pretty bad performance. You know, and no disrespect to Fiji, but I think we should go and be going and putting at least 20 on them. Um, I did think to get a couple of positives there, though, I thought Redpath, obviously, I think he lived up to his debut. Uh, I think there was always a wee bit of a, a question mark against that for me. You know, he was the, the kind of the messiah of Scottish rugby, even though he'd only played one game and, you know, so I, I was kind of glad to see him come up and, and put in a second performance. And I'm going to throw a wee bold statement as well and say that actually I thought that uh, Blair, when he came on, brought the game to life. I think he got the backs firing in a way that Hastings did there. I would, I would actually agree with that. I don't know whether that was because um, Fiji were tiring, because Fiji don't get to spend as much time in camp as Scotland do. Um, it's always been a thing for the tier two nations that they, they, they do have. Like Bill Matta was playing with, with Edinburgh the week before, whereas yep. any Scottish players really that were, you know, were in Scotland might have been rested, they would have been worked into that going into the Autumn Nations. So, you know, I don't know whether that was part of it. I know that Adam Hastings, and I hope he's okay, he got absolutely crunched. And that was partly on Adam Hastings um, trying to... He, he went back to Adam Hastings when he first started playing for Scotland for me and he started sort of this prancing about behind the behind the forwards that kind of puts him in tough positions. But um, I do think Blair Kinghorn got it going just a little, that little bit better. Um, and I think, and I, uh, it's not because it's my namesake or anything, but I think the revelation in that game for me was why have we voluntarily played so long with Richie Gray. I mean, my goodness, Richie Gray, I don't know, you were mentioning the line-out earlier on, John, but I mean, the line-out in the Fiji game was the one the one thing that I thought went really well. I don't know about you. Yeah, and actually, I took a bit of pelters on social media before for suggesting that I actually came back almost solely to fix the line-out. And actually, he's been very, very good for Glasgow this season. And I, I, ironically, I took a bit of pelters off some Edinburgh fans <laughs> for saying that he comes back because they didn't rate him. And we're talking about Glasgow fans who didn't rate him either. And actually, the truth is, in the stands where I sit, and even in the clubhouse, anyone I've spoke to, 
they've all been commenting on how good he is this season. And I, I'm glad that he came in for Scotland and he showed that. I mean, even, you know, Fraser Brown and whatnot and his arrows to him, I mean, it was a hit the target every time. I think Tom English described him in one of the, the BBC podcasts as seeming to be 11 foot tall. Um, <laughs> and, and literally, you couldn't miss him. But uh, it was such a difference from the Australia game. The line-out was a, a major, major positive against Fiji. Yeah, yeah, the line-out the line was definitely, definitely better. And then that, that continued into the New, New Zealand game. I think that's where Fraser Brown came in to the squad, along with Finn Russell at that stage, um, who both came in. Obviously, Finn Russell, rather controversially, was left out to begin with. Fraser Brown, probably less controversially, and then was perhaps controversially mm-hmm. brought back in to the Scotland squad. Um, but the two of them, I thought, made a massive positive impact on the squad. Um, I don't know about you guys. What, what, what do you think, uh, either of you? <laughs> yeah, uh, I had to eat some humble pie with that one. Um, as soon as I seen Fraser Brown uh, announced, I was the one putting up the comments, you know, saying, like, our penalty count wasn't high enough, and, you know, why are you bringing him back, and stuff like that. I mean... And yeah, his two games that he played, it was absolutely fantastic. The irony was I seen a stat put online um, about Fraser Brown that he's actually only conceded one penalty in the URC this season. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I've not actually looked it up. <laughs> but a few folk came back, as you said, Chris, a lot of people were coming in. Discipline's an issue and we're bringing back Fraser Brown. Um <laughs> And actually, that apparently stats are very good in the URC this season. I've seen that as well. I'm not sure how many minutes he's actually had for Glasgow. Has he, has he played <laughs> we'll a stick lot? To the stat. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought I actually thought he was he was a real point of difference. It used to always be Edinburgh fans would be Stuart McInally's the man, and Glasgow fans would be Fraser Brown's the man, and in truth. They were both, in my opinion, they offered slightly different things. I think Fraser Brown was always more abrasive and better over ball. And McAnally was better at sort of open play, handling of the ball. Um, but Fraser Brown just brought that abrasiveness and just took the game to New Zealand. Every time he was on in the loose, he was excellent. And his arrows, as you say, were, were fantastic. And of course, we can't talk about the New Zealand game without talking about, um, first and foremost, um, Finn Russell being brought back in. Uh, immediately I think our attack looked better than it has done. But I think in a way that perhaps frustrated me the most about the game, I don't know about you guys, um, but what frustrated me about the game is we had Finn Russell, who seemingly when he got the ball was creating magic, but then when we were right on their try line, we never gave him the ball. Um, and <laughs> that kind of that kind of annoyed me. So I don't know, like, did you guys watch that game at home or did, were you guys watching that game in the stands or...? That one was from home. Um, I, I mean, again, talking about games that got away, but I mean, even you can't so much, so much to go into in that game. You can't give New Zealand a fourteen-point start first and foremost. I mean, and it's wild. And then you think of the number of points we left out there, as you said, particularly the forwards. I think it was the Jamie Ritchie kind of triple roll, the one at the end of the. The first half, I think Fraser Brown maybe get done for sealing off. I can't remember, but with so many chances in that game, um, 
And as you said, you were just screaming for them to give the ball to the backs. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I, I, I don't know about you, Chris, but could you could you tell on the telly that about, you know, apart from just the forwards constantly trucking it, did you see the sort of missed um, overlap from Hogg, for example, who for me is becoming famous for not passing the ball when he should? Was that all apparent on the telly, or was it just was it just the the forwards looked mince and were stupid? There was there was a couple of sort of uh, vintage hoggy moments, I think that that uh, did get captured on the on the TV as well. Um, it seemed, if I'm going to be honest, I think the whole kind of autumn nations, he seemed a lot better than what he was previously. I don't know if maybe losing the captaincies. Been a bit of a, uh, a call to him, you know, or a wee bit of a, a, an eye opener. Um, but I think he's overall probably been a bit better at not running away so much and actually passing the ball most of the time. Um, but I thought as well with, with that game in particular. Um, Again, I think we we done really well in the, the first half. Obviously, the the first I think was in like nine minutes or something. And they scored their their two tries, and and you know we're thinking right, we're going to lose by fifty here. Um, and then it, it, we brought it back. We we really got the discipline under control for the the first half, and I find the first part of the second half as well. We were almost flawless to a degree. Um, and then again, I, I'm not sure if it was like fatigue set in or if um, New Zealand just kind of dug in a bit more than we did. But after I would say like 50, 60 minutes, you know, it was absolutely everything just went against us. Uh, and there was a lot of the old, you know, what are we trying to do here? What is our actual plan of attack? Yeah, yeah. There was a moment for me, and I, I haven't had the chance to watch, watch the game back, but there was a moment for me where I did think Frank Murphy missed something. And perhaps you guys watching it on the telly could tell me, was Darcy Graham tripped when they chipped that ball over? Because it looked in the stadium like someone took his feet away from him. But it wasn't even looked at at any point after that in the stadium. So it was, it was either... He fell and someone was near him, or he was tripped. Could you tell on the telly what was happening? Yeah, I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter actually who says, you know, the usual, you know, referee was terrible and cost us the game and everything. And I actually says that, that I don't think he had that bad a game. I think there was things that he missed, um, but it was kind of equally bad for both teams, you know, he's, I don't think he, he was heavy-handed against one side, but that certainly, that what you're saying with, with Arce was definitely uh, one moment that, that did jump out as well, because I think he, he 100% was tripped. Uh, like you, you say, you kind of seen it on live and then nothing more was said yet and it was just move on for it. Yeah. And did anyone see Scott Barrett get punched in the face on the TV? Because because uh, uh, I, I still don't know what Richie Gray is supposed to have been cited for. Someone showed no. the incident, can't see anything. So I take it that wasn't even talked about in the TV, John, were you? I, I don't think there's any footage of it. It was uh, the whole thing. The ban was based on the balance of probabilities, wasn't it? I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. There's no actual footage, but 
they've kind of deemed that he did it. So yeah. I, I really have no idea how they came to that conclusion, if I'm 100% honest, because there's no there's no TV footage by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, now, on the TV, they did say, because he was on the ground and the commentators were saying, he's saying that he's been punched. And that was about as far as they went into it, but yeah. they didn't offer any replays or, or any more insight into who or when or where. Yeah, because actually, before we go on to the, the final game, obviously, the most recent one against Argentina, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Richie Gray's ban and, and the actual um, the sighting process. Now, you, you just told me there doesn't seem to be any footage of it. I've, got a cl- I've seen one clip where you see... Richie Gray enter a ruck and he looks like he's sort of Barrett's low and he's low and you don't know where Richie Gray actually lands. Um, you know, you don't see what's happened, where he's if he's contacted anything. Um, so, in, in my opinion, World Rugby's got the sighting process wrong and they need to bring in a sort of a thing where they actually explain to people why they're sighting people and what, what they've been banned for. Um, in a much more detail and with video, because at the end of the day, none of us know what that was about. And as you say, it's on balance of probabilities, but surely the burden of proof is on what the decision on the field would have been. So the ref on the field said, no one saw it, play on. The TMO didn't see it, so how can then they overturn that? It's the same with a try. Someone scores a try and it looks like they've dotted it down, like Talia's try that folk thought was knocked on. If the they look at that in the TMO, it looks like it's, it might have been knocked on, but it might have been tucked down. You go with the, the on-field decision. What, that's that's another thing I think they have to bring in. So do you guys think that the, the sighting process is fit for purpose? And do you think that they should be doing video of it? Yeah, no, I think the whole process, it's a bit of a joke really, isn't it? I think it's entirely a lottery as to what, you know, you get and how much it gets cut down by and everything like that. I think one of the main changes that they could probably make is have an actual sighting team, like a, just a set team, because as far as I know, it's different people all the time. So just like obviously the referee can interpret, you know, between different referees, you know, it might be a red for one referee, it might be a yellow for the other. Surely that's going to be the same with the, the sighting commissioners, you know, it's just depends on how they see it at the time. Yeah, yeah. And and John, what about, what about you? I don't know if either of you got the chance to look at the the NHL video I sent where they, they go through the incident and say this is why we're given this many games and the player's reputation, that player's got a horrendous reputation in the NHL video I sent you. But John, what, what do you think of the site process? I, 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 I don't know how you can punish somebody for something that nobody's seen. Right, and that one it's one player's word against another. So, like you said, I think surely to goodness there has to be video evidence. The other thing is there needs to be consistency in the punishments handed out. It seems to vary, you know, from one sighting to another. There doesn't seem to be consistency in terms of the length of bans handed out. You know, it's easy to punish the smaller nations more difficult to punish the bigger nations. And that's how it comes across. And I think that's also a major issue. You know, first and foremost, you're getting punished for something that nobody's seen in this instance, and then a ban based on balance of probabilities. Um, to, to me, 
it doesn't really make sense if I'm, I'm quite honest. And I think everyone's a bit confused by it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's what... It's not so much he got banned, it's the fact that none of us really have a clear image of what happened. And the best we've got is a video where it's clearly unsighted. You can't even see what he contacts in the video. Um, I know that, um, I think it was someone that said that it's a load of rubbish. I can't remember who it was that said it to me on Twitter. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade. And so I know that obviously if a client pleads guilty, then a client gets a reduction in sentence. It's as simple as that, than what they would have got if they'd been found guilty. But I also think that we're not in a criminal court. So why are we encouraging people to, to just say, well, yeah, I did it? They shouldn't even really be able to say, they should be able to put forward their case, but it's not about pleading guilty and not guilty. Um, it's just saying, look, this is what happened in the game and this player's head was here and this is why that happened and discussing it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's... A, and I think the World Rugby, having an Argentinian on the site and panel, and not that I think the Argentinian guy went out his way to ban... Richie Gray or anything, the optics of it are just just all wrong. I don't know if maybe that's just me. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I think you've got to optically get that right as well. If you're about to play the nation of one of the people on the sighting panel, I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Yeah, something that they seem to keep making a mistake time and time again as well, you know, having different, you know, even like referees and stuff and uh, touch judges who are from, you know, the, the home nation and stuff like that. Remember we had a, a wee bit of that during the, the Lions tour as well, where it was a bit of, not like you're saying, it's, it's not that you expect or that you think maybe that, that they are, you know, being a bit biased, but it just opens up the controversy and it, it, it just opens the door for that kind of argument. Yeah, the, op- the optics of it aren't good. Um, the, uh, they aren't good, isn't it? As I agree with you. I don't think there's anything in it for a second, but you would think somebody would just stop and say, well, this doesn't look clever, and it, it opens itself up to not being impartial, if you like. Yeah. yeah. It's like when they posted the review of, we'll all remember it, the Jubert incident with with the, you know, the deliberate knock-on, no, the, deliberate, the, the, the deliberate offside um, when Scotland got knocked out the quarter-final. And then it's, it was like Jim Telfer or something saying, yeah, Joubert got it wrong. Well, of course, no one else is going to take anything off of that because it's a Scottish guy saying the guy that made a mistake against Scotland got it wrong. You know, he shouldn't be doing that review or giving the result of that review. Um, I guess, you know, for some some sports, they, they just get on with it. But I found, I don't know about you, just, just moving on a slight tangent, do you not find that in the URC when we get home Home refs against like an Irish or a Welsh team that the refs are more are worse against us. Whereas when you get an Irish ref in Ireland, the favoured Irish team more. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I found that that my Mike Ad, if we get Mike Adams and we're playing Munster, my my head is in my hands because I don't think it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell by that there was just laughs uh, for the audience there. I think everyone just agreed. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the final game. And there's a lot of talking points in the final game, probably more so than, than anything else. Um, after the come down of New Zealand, the, the team really needed a win, I felt. If they, if they lost that, I actually thought we might see Townsend be booted out. Um, but what did you guys think of the game? Um, 
from from the weekend past there. Uh, John, I'll go to you first. What, what did you make of the game? It's a hard one, isn't it? Because when a team goes down to 14 men so early on, it's always, you always kind of feel it's ruined as a, as a spectacle. But then equally, you've got to be able to put these teams away, which traditionally we have failed to do in the past. I mean, I think when they, when they went down to uh, 12 men and it was only seven each, I mean, that was just absolutely vintage Scotland. Do you know what I mean? When there's more space on the park, we make it more difficult. That said, we scored some absolute belters of tries. Finn Russell ran the show. I think the big thing about Finn Russell coming back in, particularly for the New Zealand and then even more so in the Argentina game, from the first couple of games was how much more you saw of Darcy Graham, who has proven, the lad who's proven himself to be undoubtedly world-class and should be in that world team of the year. Um, and Big Doohan and even Hoggy, you know, your back three barely touched the ball against Australia and then they were all over it in the New Zealand game and the Argentina game. So I think you're right, we had to finish with a win. We finished with an absolute resounding win and it's no mean feat putting 50 points on an absolutely cracking Argentina side. So I think we've got to come out of it positive, to be honest. Um, how can you not when you put that amount of points? It's just there is that wee bit of a doubt cast over it because they'd 14 men, I think. So you've got to temper it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, I would agree with that. Chris, what did, what did you make of the game? I've kind of been flip-flopping a bit on this one. I came away from watching the game. I went into the, the rugby club to watch it and I came away thinking, you know, we still did the perform good. It's papering over the cracks. Um We've still, I think there was a point where, I can't remember if we were against 13 at this point, maybe, and that's where Buffelli scored his try. 12. And, and they're sitting there going, you know, only Scotland. I mean, I was fair chuffed for Buffelli getting a try on his 50th cap, but I'm thinking only Scotland, you know, could... And, and they were hardly given any chase, you know. You ran half the pitch, at least, and you're like, what are we actually doing here? And I think, like I said earlier, I think had Argentina been able to keep their discipline, I think they could have maybe actually possibly beat us um, because we did seem to make a lot of hard work. But I, I'm not sure if that was partly because they were doing and everybody, you know, wanted to get a bit of a game and, you know, score some tries and maybe tried that wee bit too hard instead of sticking to the processes but um, so I've I kind of come away from it thinking you know like I say it's papered over the cracks and stuff I've been seeing a lot of the Twitter responses to it and everybody's all perked up and you know we're winning everything again um, and I'm like I'm kind of being taken by that wave as well and going right well we did put you know 50 points out there so you know, maybe we are going to be a really good team again and stuff like that. But um, I think I'm going to stick with the, the, the pessimistic approach and say I still don't think it was all that good because I don't think that, you know, when it comes to World Cup time, like South Africa and Ireland and stuff, they're not going to give us the opportunities that Argentina gave us. You know, and if we're struggling and letting scores in against a 12-man Argentina... You know, then what is Ireland going to do to us 
you know, in, uh, in the, the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose um, we've got one kind of positive view there, one negative. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be uh, somewhere in the middle of that. I thought we were absolutely crap when they were down to the, like, you know, to 13 and 12. And I thought we were a lot better when they only had 14, when they when the numbers were more even. I actually think... I would agree with that. Um, I think when we went down to 12, for some reason, we decided we were playing, like, sevens or something. And we were chucking... I mean, the, the reason they scored that try, and I, I'm not just picking on them, but was because of Jack Dempsey. I don't know what he was trying to do with the ball. He'd already kind of fallen. He got back up and the ball... He, I watched the video of it again today because I couldn't believe it. He put the ball like that. I think he was trying to, you know, up a front of his head and then he was going to try and chuck it back. He just dropped it. And then Defentes or whatever his name was got it and just sprinted down and obviously Buffelli got the offload. But when you're playing against 12 people, if you just go hit a couple up, it will draw people in. And then it's just simple hands. And when they went and done simple hands, Hoggy just... Drew a man, passed it to a, to a plotter, and he was in the corner. It was dead easy when when they done it after they conceded the try. But they had this thing in their head: well, we need to score off first phase uh, without them getting a ruck, or we're we're ruined. They've not got the numbers to compete at the ruck at that stage. So just hit the hit them up. It, it, honestly, that was a, the point of frustration. The good thing was, I totally agree with with John. I think Darcy's world class, and I actually think Darcy Graham if he keeps his fitness in anywhere near this form, should be in that 14 jersey for the for the Lions. And I, I know people say that's just because I'm Scottish and, you know, an Edinburgh fan or whatever, but I genuinely think he's a better finisher because if you think about it, for his strike rate, he's in a Scotland team that quite often he's going to get rubbish ball from and, and he still f- finds a way to finish. He's got strength, but equally f- footwork. And I actually... I think he should have been in the Lions tour probably ahead of Van der Merver. And I've said, I said that at the time. And I love Van der Merver, but Van der Merver, in terms of, is not a great rugby player compared to Darcy Graham. He's a, just a big beast that yeah. his technique's crap. And um, I wouldn't say that to his face because he'd still be able to chin me, but his, his technique is, isn't great. He's just, it's just raw power. Everything he does is raw power. And, um, Darcy for me has been the player of the series. I think, I think the standout player of the series. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what frustrated me. The kind of the the fewer players Argentina had on, the more that we started doing stupid stuff with the ball. And if we just stuck to our, pro- I think we could have put seventy on them if we'd stuck to our processes. <laughs> but that was, as you say, they didn't stick to their processes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that was a sort of monologue on the Argentina game, everyone, uh, after saying we wouldn't go through the games too much. So all in all, what do you guys feel after the series and you know how looking back on it, what is your sort of your sort of feeling about Scotland, how we can do in the Six Nations and how we might fare in this World Cup group? <laughs> I think a bit like Chris is saying, you know, the, the kind of I get because I've sort of flip-flopped as well to a degree over my, you know, my kind of opinion of the whole series. And I think the problem is we've had good autumn series before, went into the Six Nations, full of optimism. And then when it comes to tournament rugby, we just collapse. 
We beat England this year and then went to Wales. We were going to horse them and we performed probably the ones, one of the worst. Put in one of the worst performances I can recall in Cardiff. Um, so as a, Scotland in tournament rugby, it's always a, a different piece. I think we all believe the players are there. I think we believe we've got a good squad. I don't think we get too... It's the whole thing of um, every year we hear this from Scotland, you're going to win the Six Nations. And I don't really know any Scottish rugby fan who ever truly believes we're going to necessarily win it. I think we all kind of hope for maybe three out of five, four out of five. We all allow ourselves to dream, but we never really build up the momentum. Do you know what I mean? You beat England, right? Let's let's win another game, build up some more momentum. And sure as God, it, it falls in its face. Um, I think a top three finish would be considered a success in the Six Nations, the World Cup. I kind of see us getting out of that group. Can you? Uh, Chris, can you see us get out of that group? You want to, you want to take it from there? No, not at all. Uh, I think when you've got South Africa and Ireland to come up against your kind of run in, he'd first into a brick wall with that one. Um, I think, like John says, I think the individual talents there. I think, you know, like, like you says, Darcy's an absolutely phenomenal player. Um, and you've got, like you do, and you've got Finn, um, even like Schumann and stuff up front, you know, a lot of teams would bite, bite their arms off to get these players. So I find that... Do you not think to impact's talent. quite lightweight? That's what I always think. I always think the forwards are lightweight compared to our countries. I think they are, but they're really dynamic, I think. You know, like, say, Schumann will go 80 minutes uh, and hit, you know, every rock that you put in front of him. Uh, and like Zander as well, I've seen him going 80 minutes and being really good uh, in the field as well. So I think we are a lot lighter than a lot, but probably a lot mobile. It's funny that you say that, actually, because that is a good point. And I was talking to a guy about that at the weekend. You know, sometimes you feel like we make these subs particularly the props, at like 50 minutes or something, and it's okay, we're getting fresh legs on, but you're thinking to yourself, well, Xander and Shui are doing brilliant. Leave them on. You don't need to make these subs. You always have to sub. And I think even in New Zealand game, the subs were the difference. You know, their bench came on, was stronger than ours, and I think that ultimately cost us the game. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Actually... And I love him. I, I genuinely do love him. But I think we made a mistake bringing Nell on um, when we did. Uh, he's a great scrummager. He's a better scrummager than Sander, but he's not as he's not as good around the park. And Sander was playing one of the best games I've ever seen him play. Um, I even as much as it as much as Sutherland, I think is is a class prop. Uh, prop. I think just the way the game was and the way that Schumann was playing and holding his own, again, I think we should have left Schumann on. Um, I, I don't know why we... we and it's maybe something we should come on to when we talk a little bit about, about Gregor Townsend at the end, but I, I don't know why they have this sort of props can only play 60 minutes. Sure, I've seen Schumann play 80 minutes for Edinburgh and he's still running the length and support of people. So I don't, I don't know why there's a, that view that they, you can't, you can't play a prop 80 minutes. And if they can't play 80 minutes, then you, they should be training to be able to play 80 minutes. It's as simple as that. It's fair enough if they get hurt or something like that. You need another prop, but 
Yeah, I, I think I would I would agree with you. I don't know why they changed the props in that game. Um, I was a little bit confused with some of the some of the choices of substitutions. To me, Ben White should have been starting the game in the first place. But mm-hmm. actually, the New Zealand game was the best Ali Price has played. Yeah, uh, I think series. And when they took him off, and you know our attack started to go a wee bit wayward after they took him off. And I think it was just because he was in the game, everyone was in the zone, and you start changing, tinkering with things when there's no need, and just put you on there. On the thing, and I, in terms of the pack, I would say they are pretty lightweight, um, which is another reason why we shouldn't be at when we're at the line trying to tuck it over. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be using our mobility to, to, you know, a bit of footwork, someone coming on that line or something, rather than constantly picking and going. We'll pick and go a couple of times just to reset and draw their forwards in, and then find a space out wide. Um, I basically stole that off Craig Mason, though, of uh, Scotch Rugby Pod, so I should shut up. <laughs> um, but Whenever we're hammering away at the line, you never, you really feel we're definitely going to score here. And yet, even going back to the Argentina game, like you know, they seem to hammer at our line from a couple of yards out, and you, there's an inevitability that they're going to score, that we're going to concede here. You never feel that we're going to hold out, and that's just what I mean about the sort of physicality. We kind of lack the physicality, definitely to go toe to toe with um, South Africa. And Ireland. So, as you said, play to your strengths, use your backs. And again, go back to Price playing well. I don't think it's a coincidence that Price probably had his best game, the the game that Russell comes back. Do you know what I mean? Because I think he brings out the best in those around him. No, I totally agree with that. And actually, um, I think Price, it's something I wanted to kind of, I suppose, touch on is you talked about Blair Kinghorn. The, we talked about it at the start, and you mentioned Price was really slow in that game, uh, Chris. I sometimes think that our 10 selection should reflect what our 9 selection is. So Kinghorn would be better off with Velikot, because Velikot is what Kinghorn's used to, a, fat, a 9 who just wants to get the ball out, makes little breaks at the line and has little goes of thing. Now, Velikot was injured, so he's not available. Who's like Velikot? George Horn. So why isn't George Horn maybe like as a pod, you're a pod, that's who we're going to train with. And then Price, you go with Hastings or you go with Russell, who you suit more because Russell needs a, he needs to be the general. Whereas when, when Kinghorn's playing, he's not the general, it's the nine that's the general. If Velikop leads our attack uh, for Edinburgh and George Horn would lead the attack for Scotland. But George Horn wouldn't work with Finn Russell very well because Finn Russell likes to be in control of what's going on. So he's better with Ali Price, who's a bit more of a kind of I'll do as you say kind of nine. So um I, I think that's that's true of all of them. I, um and I think you're right. I think that's why Price looks to have his best games when when Finn Russell's back because it suits his style of play. It doesn't suit his style of play to play with Kinghorn who needs to play from depth and run at holes and then give offloads. Russell can play flat and, and get the ball late and barks the orders. So yeah. Um anyway, just just I suppose we've talked all about all about has anyone got any more on the actual games themselves? No, I think we've pretty much covered most of it for me anyway. Do you want anything else? No, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's the New Zealand game's the game for me that sticks out the most in my my mind because that's just such a sense of 
what could have been. Um, and I, I think even before the yellow card, I don't know about you guys, but I had a sense that that was, as soon as they reduced it to three, Barrett kicks that penalty, and I think it was 23-17, just before the yellow card, and I thought, we're going to lose this. I remember thinking, I just thought it was a, a, a mental thing, like we don't actually believe we can hold on and win this, and I do think that that's another thing that we kind of lack. You know, like Ireland, South Africa, always believe they're going to win, right? I, I, I sometimes don't believe our boys think we can see this through. Maybe I'm wrong, and I know they all work with sort of sports psychologists and stuff like that, but there's definitely a mental psyche that we need to develop if we're going to actually start competing at the top end of things. Yes, there's a lot to be said for the fact that Scotland tend to regularly lose to the same teams that necessarily, like Wales, for example, this season, well, this past Six Nations, are one of the worst Welsh teams that there has been in a long time. And we just beaten England, who aren't a bad... England aren't terrible. You know, they went toe-to-toe with the All Blacks. They've not changed their squad that much. We beat them because we believe we can beat England. We lost to Wales when things started to go awry because it was like, oh, I think mentally you're right. I think there's the same Ireland. I mean, we were over in Ireland, not last year, the year before, and all Hulk had to do was fall over and he dropped the ball. And we, we gifted them so many points when they were here in the, you know, when there was no crowd. And we fought back and we almost won. And then when we played them in, you know, in, uh, in Ireland, Hulk has a two-on-one with Sam Johnson and doesn't pass it. And it's almost like, it's just as soon as those little mental things happen, and they are mistakes that we make a lot, we just can't recover from it. And I think it's a belief with certain teams we can't beat them. It's like for years we could beat France at home, we could never beat them away. Um, you know, it's just little things like that. It's that I think Scotland does have in their head. As soon as something goes wrong, oh, here we go again. That's what's going to happen now. We're, we're screwed. And whereas New Zealand think we can always win, South Africa think we can always win. And, and if we don't win, then Razzie will draw yellow circles and everything and say it was a ref's fault. And Ireland think that they can always win. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a mental thing that we need to get over. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know how we get over that. Um, however, some of the mentality of a club come, or, a, or a team comes from their coach. Now, in, in a few words, um, I'll, I'll, well, or more, uh, please give me your position on Townsend both in relation to this autumn series um, I'll go to you first Chris uh, Historically I've always been a very very big fan of Townsend uh, I mean we went to the same school together granted obviously different times but so you, you know you kind of you've got to stand by him for, for a bit longer than other people I guess but this last few year, uh, seasons or so, as you know, we've started to kind of seem to drop and drop and drop, and the constant dramas in camp, you know, it's, it's getting to be more a, a soap opera than, than anything else. Um, and I think that you've got to, at some stage, turn around and think that possibly he's he's uh, the issue. Um, I know, or I get the feeling anyway, you know, that, that Finn Russell, obviously, 
brings a lot of the the issues to the table as well. It can it comes across as being maybe a, a bit a prima donna, um, but you know a good coach should be able to manage that uh, regardless. Um, and I think as well, I think he's maybe just getting lost as well. I think he's maybe that he tries to overcomplicate a lot of things. It's like what we see earlier about the subs. You know, I think that he's got written and read somewhere, you know, 60 minutes, we change the subs, and he's not actually bothered about the game in the slightest. It's, no, no, I need to change my subs here. Um, I've, I've read places as well that, you know, he's got a, a big game plan for every game and he writes it fresh and everything like that. But, I mean, the Australia game, for example, you know, his game plan couldn't have been any worse. You know, when you've got Darcy, Hogg and uh, Duhan if your game plan isn't give the ball to the wings, that's all you need is your game plan, you know, and we would have won that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's probably definitely time that, that we explore a different option. I don't know who that option is going to be. I'm very much hoping it's not Mike Blair. Um, but, you know, it's I think it is time for something different. Cause I find the other thing as well is obviously I think everybody's saying that we are majorly lost in attack. And uh, AB Zonda seems to be getting the brunt of that as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, considering that Townsend has just come off the back of Alliance Tour where he was the attack coach, you'd think that he could steer the ship right, you know, even without Zonda. So I'm still leaning towards that he's majority of the issue. And I think that's possibly, you know, with these game plans that he's he's holding the leash too tight and you know he's not going to actually put his own stamp on the attack maybe but that's that those are all all very good points john what, what about you what about your thoughts on townsend over this this period it's it's hard not to feel he's kind of lost the dressing room a wee bit it's certainly uh, they all seem quite a tight knit bunch. The players, they all seem good pals, have a good time, all the rest of it. And I mean, I do wonder a bit like Chris is touching on. You know, is he a wee bit too much of a disciplinarian? You know, is is it not particularly that they all want to play for Scotland? But is it not really? Is it not a fun environment? I don't know. He's also been in a job a long time. You can't help but feel maybe things have gone a wee bit stale. Um, I kind of personally felt after the last World Cup, he should have went. Um, but I think he's evidently keen to stay on for another World Cup. Um, and I was kind of the impression, certainly at the start of this autumn series, when the Finn Russell's fourth choice fly half palaver was kicking about, I thought, right, you're, you're taking us all for fools here, right? You know, he's got to play his way into form. Um, now, Either that's some genius management, right? And he's fired Finn up to the point that we've seen what we've, we've got, or this kind of personal feud has taken over. Now, Scotland can't do without Finn Russell. I think that's quite become quite evident. And ultimately, I think the Scottish rugby community is with Finn. So for me, I think pretty much Townsend's time's up, but that's not going to come till after the World Cup. I actually would have quite liked to have seen maybe even a, a temporary management team through the Six Nations. I don't know, Mike Blair and another, um, maybe just guiding Scotland through the Six Nations. I think the, the 
country, the, the, the team could get a bit of a bounce. They all evidently loved playing with Mike Blair. And I think a lot of the kind of fall-off came when he left the Scotland setup. Um, the other thing is you'll probably get more of the, the big-name coaches available after the World Cup anyway. So I think no matter what happens, no matter whether I would like to see someone else at the helm for the Six Nations in the World Cup, it's not going to happen because the big coaches aren't going to be available till after the World Cup's done. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, Going back just before the series, I think the biggest mistake Scotland made, and it's all, it's all like a sort of, um, you know, wings of a butterfly type thing, was hiring, was was firing and hiring um, Townsend. Well, firing Fern Cotter and hiring Townsend, but they did. We're two years out from a World Cup that would have been Fern Cotter's second World Cup, and probably the time to let him go in two thousand nineteen. Um, if things didn't go great, you bring in Townsend. He's got two years with the team. They don't have a great World Cup, so everyone's doubts in their mind already. Um, and then and then you're you're in this situation. I think my biggest problem with, with Townsend is is it's not so much just the on-field play, it's this creation of sound bites that he seems to want to make. Like before the World Cup, we're going to be the fittest team there. And then after about 55 minutes against Ireland, everyone's breathing out the backside and looks like they've never seen a treadmill in their life. And also, the uh, this thing about Finn Russell, you mentioned that you know he needs to go and find form and stuff. Well, if that's the case, and this is no disrespect to Ross Thompson because I think he's a great prospect, why is Ross Thompson in this, the 40 man squad in the first place? Charlie Savala has been playing awesome for Edinburgh up to that point. He should be the, the third 10 then, if that's what you're going to do, and then release him back to Edinburgh. That's fine. But don't make up nonsense about finding form and bringing in somebody who's played 20 minutes of rugby because he's been out injured. And I, I get that's no disrespect to Ross Thompson because I think he I think he's a good prospect. And I think he'll be a good 10 for Scotland in the future. But it's just the way he handles himself in the media and stuff. It doesn't make any sense. And the players hear that. I mean, the players aren't we've all got social media now. It's you know, they, they they're gonna hear what the coach is saying and they're gonna hear things like, what's he talking about? Go and find form. Um, you know, it's fine if he wants to pick a player who's out of form, you know, because they're a veteran and they've played and he thinks that they'll be they'll get back on track being with Scotland. But don't talk nonsense about Finn Russell being out of form or whatever. If you think he's disruptive, say he's disruptive. If it's something about with well, we're a bit worried about him being distracted because he's gonna have a kid, we'll say that. But don't say he's out of form when clearly everybody can see that he's not out of form. Um I don't think now on the back of the of the win and the, the decent performance against New Zealand, he can be let go. I think it's too late. Um, and I certainly wouldn't let him go for Mike Blair um, at this stage because I think Mike Blair would need time to build himself as an international coach because it's a different game. It's, it's, you know, he's with Edinburgh, the Edinburgh guys all the time. Um, if they were letting him go, it's a punchy one, but I think the only person they can let him go for if he's available is Warren Gatland. And uh, I don't know how Scottish public would feel about that. Um, but <laughs> and I'm, getting, I'm getting some funny looks for even suggesting such a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think that the verdict on Townsend is if he's out after this World Cup unless we reach the semis. Or if we go with that group, then he might, he might, he might have bought himself a bit more, a longer time. Um, but I think if we go with that group, it'll be because of... The magic of Finn Russell and, and others, and not because of Townsend. 
um, because I think the reason attacks still, and I think what you were talking about, Chris, with the game plan, is the attack changed when Finn Russell came in because Finn Russell plays what's in front of him. He doesn't play what's in the game plan. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Townsend mm-hmm. doesn't like him, which is odd because Townsend used to play like Finn Russell. Um, so anyway, uh, we could talk all day about uh, Townsend. Is there anything that I've said that is utter garbage apart from Morgan Gatlin, which got <laughs> my roots? <laughs> I wouldn't. I would take Gatland, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other thing is is that I think everybody's kind of fed up with the tinkering. It's that most countries have got settled combinations, right? Tony chops and changes that team. I mean, I think we might have stumbled on a centre combination now, um, mm-hmm. but even the treatment of Red Path, you know, he was in, then he was out. Then he's back on the bench. And I don't know how that breeds loyalty. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't know either. Um, I do think, I do feel sorry for Bennett as well, um, but that's mm-hmm. more of a side issue. I do think Bennett is that hybrid of what Jones is and what Harris is, and the fact that Bennett can, he's a, he, to me, he runs better lines than Harris, and he's a better, he's got better footwork than Harris. But equally, he can tackle better than Jones. That might be a trope, though, with Jones, just because he missed that tackle against Jonathan Davies all those years ago, and I've never forgot it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I do feel kind of sorry for him, but I think Tupelotto has proven that actually that that combo does work with him and Harris if you've got if you've got someone who can give him and Harris a ball in space like Finn can. Um, I think Red Pass would be better... Again, settled combos. I think red path, a red path ball playing twelve would be better with with Kinghorn if Kinghorn's going to come on um, and be that that guy. Um, can you say anything else that I said that was mental apart from, as I say, Warren Gatland? Or... No, um, no, I pretty much agree with everyone. I think uh, I'm with you as well that I think Bennett can feel a wee bit hard done by. Uh, especially I think against the Australia game I would say he was probably one of the best on the field so I was fairly surprised to see that he was swapped yeah yeah cool right well just quickly then because I think we've, we've went we've went over the hour mark but I did say we would do this quickly if we go around and try and get a sort of settled what we would pick as our starting 15 now now we've seen what we've seen for that England game on the 4th of February um so props, are we are we all agreed on Schumann or is anyone thinking Rory Sutherland? No, Schumann. No, I think for me, Schumann, yeah. Now, Hooker is one where we could have a bit of a debate about because obviously Brown came in and was outstanding. If he carried that form on, I wouldn't have no problem with him starting. I actually feel that Ashman's never really been given enough of a chance. Um, and, uh, Turner, and Turner has obviously been you know, pretty consistent for Scotland. Um, what 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 do you guys reckon? Who would you who would you go for? Just just give me the name. Turner. I had uh, I would probably take Cherry, although I think normally <laughs> I'd have had Turner on the bench, but I would say that Fraser Brown's maybe actually pushed him off the bench for me as well. Mm. Chris, I had my mortgage on you saying Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I think I think probably 
actually, I would if if Brown was if Brown was to stick it what he was, I would actually pick Brown to start because I think he's been awesome. Um, but uh, if we can't get much of agreement, I think I'd probably just lean towards Turner. Um, although I'm an Edinburgh fan and I love Dave Cherry, I just think Turner's just that wee bit, just that wee bit more dynamic in the loose. Um, and both their arrows are about the same, so <laughs> yep. it's a tough one. A tough one. Uh, Tighthead, I presume we're all agreed on Zandbags um, at Tighthead. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's saying Nell or, or, or Murphy Walker, who did impress me, I have to say, when he came mm-hmm. off the bench. Um, now, the four jersey, well, we'll just talk about two locks. Um, who, who have you guys got as locks? John, who have you got as the two locks for Scotland now? The Cummings and Richie Gray, if both are fit. Yeah. Chris? I had... Both greys, although obviously depending on fitness as well, Cummins would definitely be in the in the reckoning for that as well. I'd probably opt for the grey brothers, um, being honest with you, but then that's because I love a narrative, so uh, <laughs> that, might, that might be more to do with it. Um, but uh, Cummins is a great shout. Um, I, think if, I think the one thing Scotland should do is if Cummins isn't fit, obviously Skinner's been injured, but you kind of need another kind of that kind of ball playing lock in the in the three that are picked for game day. So if Cummins isn't fit, try and get Skinner in. And if neither Skinner or Cummins are fit, then you maybe want that's where you want maybe want your Glenn Young with either with the Grey Brothers or whatever. However, combo you start it, I think you probably need because Cummins is quite a good dynamic running lock compared to the Greys who are a bit slower. Although Richie Gray, I think his ball carrying was immense in, in the autumn. So um, I'd go with the Grey Brothers, so we're, we're kind of almost unanimous in that, but with Cummins maybe uh, floating about the periphery. Um, six, are we are we saying Jamie Ritchie, assuming that we're not putting yeah. him seven? Yeah. 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 Uh, seven, are we saying Mish or are we saying Darge, if Darge is fit? I'm saying Darge. Um, if it's fully, and it's very glad to go Edinburgh this, I know. <laughs> but um, to be honest, I think Hamish needs a rest. I think he looks like he needs a rest. He's played so much rugby. Um, he needs just a, probably a wee bit like Finn Russell, ju- just a breather to get back to the player, the world class player that we know that he is. Dad is the coming man. Um, I still, he probably still isn't at the levels that Watson's reached. Um, but I just think right now, Hamish is just looking a bit tired. Yeah, I, I would, I would actually agree with that. And I love, I love Hamish watching, but I think, I think Darge is, Darge at the moment's just got that wee bit. Of, Watson's played a lot of rugby in the last twenty months. Um, you know, he, the Lions tour, he didn't really have a break after the Lions tour playing for Edinburgh, and he. He then went through the whole season and then he played in the summer as well. So he's not really had a break at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I not that I would not that I would drop him all together. I would, I would tend to keep him in around the squad either as that a, a number 20 jersey or um or even maybe he doesn't start against England, but he's there slightly later in the campaign, having had a rest. I don't know. Um what what's what's your thoughts, Chris? Are you 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 mesh all the way or well, I was thinking about back. throwing in a bit of um, Edinburgh Glasgow controversy there and saying Connor Boyle, but um, what a player! No, what a player! <laughs> he is a really good player, um, but I think Darge at the minute is 
the on form seven. I think I would I'm probably going to surprise you there by by saying I would go him as well. <laughs> and surprise you even further by saying that even in my twenty-three, I'm not sure I would have Mish at this stage. Um is and see, I think the the thing with Mish at the moment is I think a lot of people's sevens, you would look at his current performances and say he's having a really good game. But I think compared to Mish performances and what we know that he can do, he's just completely off the boil. Yeah. What I would say, somebody said to me actually the other day, and I've not had a chance to look up, but apparently, even though he's not playing as well as we know he can, his tackle stats are still apparently off the chart. I mean, how can I put it? I've not... And during the during the autumn series, there have been players that have went, who bounced off of that? And and I've had even one from from Schumann, by the way, um, but not from Mish. Um, you know, like he's just really solid in the tackle. It's more he's not pinballing the same as he used to pinball. He's not jackling the same as he used to jackle. He's just a wee bit slower. And actually, I don't know. I, I'm just this is the eye test and, and memory, but I think. Richie's probably won more turnovers than he has from six than in this series. So I think he probably could do a rest. I mean, he played every game until he got injured in the last game. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he is okay because um, he's important for Edinburgh and, and Scotland, of course. But um, yeah, I think Darge, for me, would just kind of take the edge just to start the England game to give, as you say, Mish a bit of a rest. And then maybe he comes in later on in the, in the Six Nations against Ireland or something, do something crazy like put Richie at eight and have all three of them playing or something. Um, I shouldn't say that because Townsend might hear this and then just immediately go with that. Um, and <laughs> uh, the eight jersey, so there could be a bit of a debate. I personally think that the last game played Dempsey out of the mm-hmm. out of the starting position for me, and any doubt that Fagerson as the man uh, should have went away. Um, but I don't know about you guys. I would probably say Fagerson as well. Um, I think it's still his jersey to lose at this stage. Um, I know that there was a lot of excitement about Dempsey coming. And I think when I seen him coming off the bench for the Australia game, um, you know, he did certainly impact that. And I thought, oh, you know, they've been right. The guys alone, name it, you know, they've been... They've been uh, praising them to the hilt and they're actually, it's paid off. And then I think, like you're saying, he kind of, that was his peak performance, but he kind of slipped a wee bit the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I would I would agree. What, what do you think? Are you with, are you with Fagerson on, or are you? Yeah, are... no, Matt Fagerson. For Scotland, um, I mean, I've always thought he's, he's been all right for Glasgow. All right, but for Scotland, he's been a colossus. Um, I really do. Be... I don't know what it, what it is when he's in a Scotland jersey. I think I think he's one of the best states that we've had in a long time. Oh, game. takes uh, it to a whole other level. He took it to a level that I didn't have him in him. I think particularly this this year he's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually think he was kind of robbed not getting to go to the 2019 World Cup as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, what was it, Blake Thompson instead? I think that was the wrong the wrong yeah. choice. Um, Next nine, um, well, obviously we've got Ali Price, um, but there's, there's, I think nine is weirdly a position where we've got a lot of options that all do kind of slightly different things, um, and it, it maybe depends on who's at ten. They were, I think, we're all going to agree that Finn Russell should be our ten. Um, mm-hmm. 
me personally, I'd start Ben White because um, you'd have more time with Russell. But I don't know what you guys think. John, are you you Ali Price or? Hey, so I would have went. Um, certainly after the first two games of the Autumn Series and after the Six Nations, I would I wouldn't be having Price. I would have been maybe George Horn, Ben White. Um, White would have been certainly the player after the first two games, but I think Rice, uh, Ali Price and Finn Russell in tandem is a different proposition. The problem I have is Ali Price, it seems to, all the kind of sniping and spontaneity seems to have been coached out of him. He gets the ball, either passes to Russell or he box kicks. Now, Ali Price, when he burst onto the scene, was sniping here, there and everywhere and I just think it's all been coached out of him. So I would probably, I would probably still lean Ben White just because I think he gives you a bit more zip. Um, but I do think it's fair to say that Price playing alongside Russell these last two games has been much, much improved to kind of the rest of 2022. Fair. And uh, would you would you agree with Ben White or you, would you have someone else, Chris? Well... Actually, you're saying there that nine's one of the positions that we've got a lot of options at, and that actually kind of made me think, yeah, actually, maybe we do. But it's one of the positions, if I'm honest, that I'm quite worried about for Scotland because I think there is a lot of options there, but I think Price is the best, like, by by a margin, the best at the moment. Um I know it's got a um, piss off you know the guys in the Scottish rugby uh, pod there that uh, I'm no shouting for for Horn who is a really good player but I think you know I think um, Price has just had dominated the Scotland setup for that long that everybody else is quite a bit behind them um, and so I I would say start Price just purely through a lack of other options in my eyes anyway even though I do agree that he's he's slower than slow at the moment and he seems to just be concentrating on constantly complaining that the ref and trying to milk a penalty that he's he's forgetting to actually play the ball some of the time Yeah I would say the one thing about, about Price um, in the same manner as we discussed Mish, he's not really had a break either mm. you know um, he's uh, he doesn't seem to have had much of a break Um I don't think he was on the summer tour, though, unless I'm mistaken. Um, but, you know, I do think... No, he was on the summer tour. He was on the summer tour, sorry. Um, but I I think I would I would still lean towards Ben White at the moment to give him a bit of a rest and a bit of a point of difference. I also think Ben White has put in some amazing tackles in the, in the series that have maybe gone unseen. Uh, but I remember him putting a Fijian on his backside and me thinking, who was that? And then I saw number twenty-one. I was like, my God! Like that was Ben White. It wasn't. I thought. I thought it was like Jack Dempsey or something. No, it was Ben White. Um, anyway, move on. We'll move on to twelve. Um, I think probably we're all going to agree on the wingers. Twelve. We've got a few candidates: Cam Redpath, um, Sione. Uh, well, that's to be honest. Over the series, kind of been it. Um, what do you guys think? I. I I know this sounds bad because I used to be totally in favour of Cam Redpath, but I think Sione should keep that jersey now. I, I think the New Zealand game and the and the uh, the game against Argentina were the points where he showed 
what he can do if he's given the ball with a bit of space instead of what he was doing when he was maybe playing alongside Kinghorn and he was just sort of trucking it up and not really doing very much. Um, what, what, what do you think, John? You, would you go with Sione or would you, would you pick someone else? So can I just clarify something here? Are we going for who would be our first choice, 12, or are we going for player of the series? Well, uh, for the 15, this is who we'd pick for the for the, for the, um, the Six Nations. Yeah, well, I'd have Sam Johnson. Um, there, you, there you go. I, I forgot about Sam Johnson. We should um, have I, I think he's probably the most underrated player in Scottish rugby. That boy is an absolute smashing player. Um for me, Redpath's still learning the trade a wee bit at international level, and two Pilotos are 13, he's not a 12. Now, he did, he's grown into that jersey a bit, right? But I still think a lot of that's on Finn Russell, right? Um, I think he creates the spaces for others, and others benefit from it. For me, two Pilotos is still a wee, he's not played very often for Glasgow at 12, but when he has, he wasn't great defensively. And don't get me wrong, um, he's been very good this autumn series. Um, and he's uh, most people would probably argue he's made that jersey his own. He's got strength, he's got you know power, he's got pace. Um, I'm still not convinced about him defensively. Whereas Sam Johnson, the lines, he runs defensively, he's solid. Um, he's got all the experience. A fully fit Sam Johnson would be my 12. And uh, Chris, what about you? This is, I can see where Townsend has his issues with centre because I've kind of went between uh, Redpath and Sione uh, back and forth, back and forth as well. Um, I think Redpath offers a lot more, you know, uh, distribution. Um, he's got good spatial awareness and good footwork to get yourself into gaps and stuff like that. Um, and I, I didn't overly rate Sione to begin with. I thought he was a bit of a kind of blunt instrument. He's a bit of a crash ball. But then I noticed some stats coming up. Now, I can't remember if it's the New Zealand game or the Argentina game, where he was one of the top carriers and top metres, I think, just slightly behind Darcy. Um, and I think on the two games especially, he really played it in his own. So I think if I was to come kind of off the fence, I would say, assuming that you start Finn, I would go Sione. I think if you're starting Blair, it has to be right path beside him every time. But um, I think to pair up with, with Finn, Ali Price and Sione would be the best combination. I'm just, I'm just thinking there, John, for all the world, I think you're going to talk up Sione and then being the true Edinburgh man you are, you're going to go Christine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was James Lang. Or James Lang, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So, um, now, the only other thing I would say is, and he could have tried it in this series, was there was some chat about Chris Harris shifting over to 12 to let Bennett play. But I think possibly that would kind of make a mess of our defence a little bit. So um, we'll not we'll, we'll not turn into Tooney and start experimenting randomly with things um, for the sake of this. Uh, 13, we all kind of agreed that it should be Harris. I appreciate that 
that Bennett is. Uh, we've all felt we all feel sorry for Bennett, um, and and John, you feel that maybe Teopolotto should be a thirteen, so that would maybe be a jersey he's fighting then, for. I mean, that's the thing, though. As much as I think he's a, a superb thirteen, he's still going to be behind Harris, and for me, he'd still be behind Bennett. To be honest, I would never have let Bennett go from Glasgow. If I'm a hundred percent honest. Yeah, it's a weird one that actually they, he left. He left there. I mean, Edinburgh fans are rejoicing now. I think the back three probably after this series probably picks itself. Yeah. Um, so I think we're probably going uh, Duhan. We're getting nods for Duhan, Darcy, and uh, Blair Kinghorn. Is that not? I mean, uh, Stuart Hogg uh, probably, despite some of his his uh, his downfalls with not passing. I think Stuart Hogg still he's still got that little bit of. Magic and step it up. Um, if we just quickly we can go through the you mentioned a few of the bench options. I think obviously you've top Turner, we probably have Brown or Cherry on the bench after that. Um, Sutherland would be my choice for 17, mm-hmm. although I think Batty's yeah. pretty good. Um, th- 18, are we past Nell now, or is Nell still the man for coming on? Mm-hmm. Sutton's come out, I think he has to be, yeah. I think that's another one that we're kind of lacking mm-hmm. other options. Um, I thought the Murphy Walker, he was actually, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't really seen much of him, I'll be honest, uh, and he really surprised me when he came on, especially for being such a, a kind of young prop. Um, but I think certainly for his scrummaging and just what he can offer in the, the locker room as well, you know, and, and on the training pitch, I think VP has to be there or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, the only other prop I think that people overlook that is actually still about and on the go is, is Murray McCallum. I think he's kind of don't know why he's not he's not well he's not even got a club contract at the moment, let alone um getting in the Scotland setup. But he cannot he is playing loose head. He played loose head for the, the Barbarians and then he was playing tight head for Worcester just before they folded. Um, he's another a prop that I think they need to kind of have a closer look at and try and develop into being available because um, not many players can play both sides but even then it just seems like a decent quality prop to have um, so in the 19 jersey I think we talked about the Grey Brothers and I think we probably settled that if it was the Grey Brothers it would be Cummins on the bench or if it was one of the Cummins and Richie it would be yeah. on the bench probably 20 jersey now we, meant, we all kind of hinted at maybe Watson but I'd actually have Andy Christie in the 20 jersey because he can cover the whole back row. Um, I think he's a great bench option just to kind of cover the whole back row and he's quite good at, like, at the end of the game coming in, chopping chopping tackles and, and maybe giving a chance for some of our, our poachers to get ball. What, what do you guys think of... Who would you have in the 20 jersey? I'd still go Watson. I, I think um, if you're starting dads, for me, Watson still has to be in the 23 the lad's a game changer. I mean, I, I, I'm that Wales game at Murrayfield all those years ago. Um, it was probably only a couple of years. It just feels I like that. that but, yeah. And he comes on and he single-handedly turns the game. I fit and fire in Watson. I mean, to be fair, and that's working on the assumption that he's not starting. So he's got to be in the 23 for me. You just can't leave him out, a guy that good. Yeah. Chris, would you agree with that with Watson? I went a kind of different route. And... It's kind of pain in me as an Edinburgh fan to say this, but like I said earlier, I think for um, the um, the Six Nations, I think I would maybe leave Watson at home, at least for the first couple, 
Uh, like I says, he played the, the summer there, which arguably was a bit too much for him on the back of the Lions. So I think he needs just a couple of games off to kind of find his form, you know, maybe a bit of a, a rocket up him just to to kind of force him to, to try that a bit harder. Um, so I actually went Dempsey for 20, thinking, because I think he offered... You know, obviously, Fagerson would be my, my first choice, eight, but I think he's got the kind of the bulk and the he, he runs onto the ball really well. You know, it can kind of change a game a wee bit with that. As long as he never tries that offload again, <laughs> I, I might be okay with it. That should be in the contract. <laughs> that was awful. Uh, so, 21, I think by sort of majority, we had White starting. So, we're saying Price just to kind of Maybe kill a game off, close a game out. If yeah. I mean, I would either have either have price to close it off, or you know, if you if you're ahead, or you then are going something wacky like George Horn or or not that George Horn's wacky or or Bellicott to just completely change the pace. But I think as it stands, you think you want price for that stability against England. Um, if 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 he's not starting, um, twenty two jersey. Now this is the one where I think. The perfect 22 jersey we do have, and I think is exactly where Kinghorn should always be, regardless of who's available to start. I think Kinghorn should be in the 22 jersey because he can he plays a certain way at 10 that could change a game, but equally if a winger goes down or a fullback or if Hogg goes down, or if you just want to change a direction in fullback or wing, I think Kinghorn should be uh, in the 22 jersey. That's where he belongs. I don't mean that nasty that he doesn't. We should never start, but I just think that that is the perfect role for Scotland for him because he can then come on and and in multiple positions to to make a make a, a bit of a difference. What 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 do you think, John? Because normally Glasgow fans that hate the idea of Blair Kinghorn being anywhere near the Scotland team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, to be honest with you, I think when Townsend first started this whole thing with. Uh, BK at 10, I assumed that was why, so that he was the perfect utility back, so that he could cover all those positions. And if he wants to go a 6-2 split on the bench, he's got a scrum half and he's got Blair Kinghorn, who can pretty much cover the entire back line. So I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. There's not really anyone else that can do it. The only other person that could potentially go in there would be Adam Hastings, because Hastings can play fullback as well. If you put um, and Chris Harris can move to the wing if needs be, so you could maybe have Hastings at twelve. So Blair Kinghorn, Adam Hastings, I'm going to be nice and say Blair Kinghorn. Okay, Chris, would you agree with Blair? Yeah, I think like you've both says, I think the initial plan was always meant to be that Blair Kinghorn was going to be that kind of cover all all bases type of thing, and I think. The media's got everybody kind of wound up that, you know, pitting him and Finn against each other when I don't think it was ever meant to be the case. I think even this tour, obviously he was the only option versus Australia. And I think versus Fiji, you were probably never meant to really be starting Finn anyway against Fiji. You know, I think when people are saying, you know, Blair needs international experience coming up to a Six Nations and a World Cup, I think that was the only game to give him that. So... Yeah, I think I think that's his his place. Oh, and lastly, the twenty three jersey. This could be 
one that you could put any number of people in, and I, I would probably yeah. not be disappointed. I think Red Pass a good option. Uh, Bennett, I quite like. Um, he has played a little bit of twelve, um, and of course you've always got the option of Finn Russell moving out to twelve if if you had to if you had to do that. Um, so, have you guys got anyone else? I mean, I, I can't between the two because I think both of them offer that slight little change in an extra kind of ball player somewhere in your backline if you need it. Um, what what would you say, John? He, the only other one I could think of would be a, a fit and fire in Hugh Jones um, would potentially be another one, but I I think it's, it's, uh, there's not much between any of them, as you said. I mean, realistically, I don't have a strong opinion on who fills that last spot. Probably for me, Red Path would just shade it. Um, just as another playmaker and whatnot, um, and because I don't think we've seen the best of him yet, and I'd like to see a wee bit more. Yeah. And what, what about you, Chris? Yeah, 100% agree. I think depending on who you're starting 12 is, it's either a red path, Bennett or Sione. Um, assuming that Bennett is the starting, I would probably more push for him. That might be the Edinburgh fan in me coming out, but uh, you know, he has turned games for us throughout the season for Edinburgh so um, and like I say I'm sure it was the Australia game where I would say he was probably one of the best players on the park that game so he would kind of edge it for me Okay cool and then just lastly um, we've, we've that's a nice 23 I think that would be a 23 that most people would get behind just lastly um, who, who, have you, who have you guys got as your player of the series now I think I said Darcy earlier on that might have been quite quick to, to jump to, to Darcy just because he's scoring all the tries. But what, what do you think, John? Who was your player of the, the series? Yeah, I think it has to be Darcy Graham. I don't think that's in doubt. Actually, I think the question would be who would be second? <laughs> um, that might be a better question. Who would be second, John? <laughs> well, Richie Gray then would be the one who's kind of come out of nowhere. You know, I think a lot of people have written him off and ultimately now... Um, he could arguably be Scotland's first choice lock, but Darcy Graham was electric. I mean, uh, you know, we've heard him described as a Scottish Ches and Kobe, but um, I mean, the boy is world class. I, I know there'll be usual people who say it's Scottish fans bumming up their own, you know, oh, your boys shouldn't have went on the lines and all that carry on, but that that lad is, uh, he's a world beater. To be fair, with the lines, if, if they picked Darcy Graham and they maybe not picked a couple of other ones they picked and we only had a few, I'd have, I would have probably been as happy because I think he's kind of been underrated for a few years and I think Cheslin Colby wears Darcy Graham pyjamas, quite frankly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chris, who, who would be your, uh, if it's not Darcy Graham, who would be your player of the series? Um, well... Obviously, again, Edinburgh fan at 100% is Darcy. Um, like you're saying, I think he's, I think he's went unnoticed almost within, you know, people who don't watch a club game just due to, you know, I think was at the opening 10 minutes or somewhere in the first game in the, the last World Cup he got injured and that was his tournament finished and he's been really unlucky with injury, I think. So I think for a lot of, you know, Scotland only fans, He's kind of maybe a bit of a surprise. Um, but I think, Darcy aside, I think I would have to kind of go Finn. 
because he's kind of come as the, the white knight at the end who's, you know, shored everything up and, and saved the day to an extent. He's yeah. done all right for a fourth choice fly half, hasn't he? Aye, aye. He certainly has. I think I think uh, came out, was it today or yesterday, that Gregor Townsend says he's now caught the jersey and it'll be very hard or something. <laughs> You're like, Townsend, man, just give it a right. Like, I don't know what you've got to do, but we, as fans, we want Finn Muscle more than we want you. It's as simple as that. Um, so... Um, Right, well, I think we've I think we've done a good length of pod here. It's going to be pretty. It might be a, a two car journey length for some people. So if you've made it this far, well done. Um, shout out to uh, Leslie Ramage, who unfortunately was uh, not well for for tonight. He was he was going to come on, um, but I think I think we've managed to. Hopefully, we've done you proud, um, and uh, and you've, you've enjoyed yourself. And thanks to you guys. Is anyone you want to give a shout out to John, and then that way you can make them listen. Because, <laughs> no, I'm all right. I'm, uh, I'm quite happy. It's been a, it's been a good experience. Thanks. And, and you, Chris, any, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Um, no particular shout out, but one thing that I was hoping that we would have quickly touched on is Jamie Ritchie, captain. If I've got a spare oh, few seconds. Got a few seconds yet. <laughs> uh, what, what's your thoughts on Jamie Ritchie as captain? You, you introduced the subject. Well, again, it's one that I'm kind of torn. You know, the, the Edinburgh fan in me always wanted Richie to be captain uh, since, obviously, Hogg was letting it, or seemingly letting it affect his game. And then I thought, I think, as far as playing the ref and communicating with the ref, I think he's done really, really good. And I, up until the Argentina game, I was, I was 100% behind. And then... I just thought it was just a lost, you know, the captain head when he's, you know, dragging people down in headlocks and stuff like that. And I thought that was like the furthest from a captain that he could have been at that time. Well, I'm going to throw this to John because he had Ryan Wilson as the captain of Glasgow for a while. So he can maybe, <laughs> he can maybe respond to that. He, actually, I, I, I know where Chris is coming from, but I read a thing saying, um, with uh, it was a statement from Jamie Ritchie, and they were like, you know, why'd you get involved? All the rest of it, and he was like, well, I just I saw somebody going for my wee mate, so I'm not going to let anybody hurt him. <laughs> it was along those lines anyway, and I just thought, Do you know what? If if you're my captain, I'm going to play for you. I actually thought, Do you know what? Fair enough. I mean, I, I, okay, arguably you shouldn't be getting yourself sin binned, but. I think to be fair, any there was so much going on and all that that um, anybody could have been sin binned really. Um, and then uh, big Pierre was uh, <laughs> he's stoning about up in the corner, not getting involved. The probably the one guy you want in there, and you're like, he's over there, just right, I can't be annoyed with this. <laughs> but but I think I think Jamie Richardson's done well. I think he's done well. I I actually. In a, in a way, and I, I see where you're coming from, Chris. I kind of look at captains that have done well for their countries, and and a lot of them have kind of done what Jamie Ritchie done. Like Alwyn Jones would have been in there, Richie McCall would have been in there, Kieran Reid, Martin Johnson, Paul O'Connell definitely would have been in there. The sort of who could send off. So, I mean, in, in all in, in all in all, I think he probably done the right thing in terms of getting yellow carded. I actually kind of wondered whether it was for his 
what he'd done or just the fact that the referee felt he needed to yellow card someone so the captain was who he was picking because he didn't know who he was going to pick from Scotland. Because um, I think Montoya might have been stand out of it, but I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... It, I don't think he should do that all the time, but I think in that situation, he, he was standing up for his team, so I kind of give him a bit of a pass on it. Um, and I'd rather he, that he went in and sort of pulled someone off Darcy Graham than stood back, and, and then the players, as you say, will want to play for him, I think, more than perhaps... Um, and Hoggy Andy's. I don't know if you guys, when he was injured in the URC coverage, he's great in media as well, which I think is something now you need in the modern game. He's very, very articulate and, and, and sensible with the way he speaks, unlike, unlike I think Hogg gets a wee bit flustered and it, it doesn't help him. Hogg is just, it's the same with Finn. I think the two of them just need to be example. They should just play and that's what they need to do. But I think, I think, I think Richie's still should maintain the captaincy at least through the Six Nations. And if, if you know, if we start to think his discipline's terrible, then he can make a decision to change it. But I think he's I think he's merited the benefit of the doubt on that on that Argentina game, which turned into chaos <laughs> at one point. Um right, is is there anyone you would like to give a shout out to Chris now that you you've uh, you've hijacked my role as pod host? Um, <laughs> um no I don't think so. <laughs> no worries right. well thanks to everyone for listening um, you'll be pleased to know there won't be any monologue from me at the end of this one I'm just going to say thank you thanks to John and thanks to Chris for, for uh, agreeing to come on this um, it's been it's been good to do a sort of round table uh, rugby one and get a few things off my chest I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well thanks so much been a pleasure thanks for having me thanks a lot thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs>